Well, again, thank you so much, Amarillo, for leading us today in worship. We're grateful, and uh, we have been led well, so thank you, Aaron, for arranging all of this for us today. Well, as you know, we are in the middle of this year-long conversation at First Baptist Arlington, and we're asking this question, why does it matter? And that question is allowing us to spend this year exploring our understanding of apologetics, our ability to represent the Christian faith in, in an articulate way, and, and then give an appeal to our culture as we try to share the good news of the gospel. And you know that we are exploring various facets of that question. Uh, we've already begun this winter season, and we asked the question, why does anything matter? And we spent the first part of our year trying to answer that question. And then on Ash Wednesday, we began our annual Easter journey. And our theme for Easter this year is your story. Why does it matter? And so we are reflecting together upon our own stories and why our stories take on such meaning. And we'd love to hear from you. Um, if you would like to share just a, a word with us about how God is working in your life right now, you can write us and we'd love to, to hear from you. We're collecting stories from church members right now. You don't have to necessarily tell your whole life story. You can if you'd like to. Um, but maybe just a brief word about how God's at work in your life right now. And you can email that to us at mystory@fbca.org, And we'd love to know your story. Also, you know that... Um, each week, um, after we have our, our times on Sunday morning, that uh, we explore the topic a little more deeply. And so uh, you can always go to our podcast, which is called Tell Me More, wherever you get your podcasts. And um, Luke Stair and I have been discussing these, um, these messages a little more deeply over the last couple of months. Katie uh, Hodges, as you know, started that for us, and uh, she's going to rejoin us this week and be a part of these podcasts as we explore more deeply uh, during the week what we're actually addressing on Sunday morning. And I uh, appreciate that time uh, to share that because as like every preacher knows, you can't say all you want to say on a Sunday morning. We all know that. So Tell Me More Podcast gives us a chance to talk a little bit more about what we're learning and uh, also give you a little more background material in what's happened on Sunday morning. So with that said, let's look at this next lesson in our Lenten journey here on this second Sunday of Lent. And I've entitled this message, How Can This Be? Or Nicodemus was said, how, how can this happen? Is really what he's wanting to know. And the text is found for us on the third page of John's gospel. Surely one of the most famous pages in the Bible. And you've turned to it many times. And I want us to look at it this morning. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. And I'll invite you to stand as we honor the Lord Jesus in the reading of his gospel today. <clears throat> Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night, and he said, Rabbi, we, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if, if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. 
How can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time in the mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand, understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we've seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe, so how then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one's ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And then we believe John begins his theological reflection, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> So when we begin reading John's gospel, here's what we'll discover. That this gospel contains numerous encounters between Jesus and others. Now some of the people are named and some of them remain anonymous. We've already begun reading John's gospel in our daily Bible readings. We also began our journey last Sunday morning as we look at these various stories out of the life of Jesus but occasionally, John will choose to name the individuals that will meet with Jesus. People like Philip, or Nathaniel, uh, or Mary, uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. You get to the end of John's gospel, Pilate, as well as many of the disciples. But you also have some unnamed people in this gospel. Uh, this family that we talked about last week <clears throat> in Cana, remember? Where they were desperate because the they had run out of wine in their wedding. We're going to see Jesus make his way to Samaria and he's going to meet this woman at the well who will not actually be named in that story. Jesus will find a, a man who is uh, lame at the pool of Bethesda and that man will be healed very famously by Jesus actually on the Sabbath of all days and yet we do not know his name. As a matter of fact, um, the very author of this gospel will not be named in the gospel. He'll just be referred to as what? The disciple whom Jesus loved. Interesting. So, so John doesn't even name himself. What I guess I would say about that is, it's just a good word to us that Jesus is available to everybody. From the lowest to the highest, <clears throat> You can go all the way to the most powerful person in Israel in those days, and that would have been Pontius Pilate. Uh, 
Or you could have climbed to the top of the theological food chain and would have been somebody like Nicodemus. Or you may have just been some person who has been living your life in obscurity and life hasn't turned out the way you would like for it to. As a matter of fact, you've been through numerous failed relationships. You find yourself victimized perhaps. And you're kind of like that, that woman who comes to the well in the middle of the day. She doesn't come in the morning with the rest of the women because she's tired of hearing them talk about her. <clears throat> you know, um, we had a, a young journey girl who was working with us in West Africa and, and uh, we met her there and she ended up going to Truett Seminary. And uh, when I was teaching, preaching at Truett, she was in my preaching class. Beautiful, thin, blonde-haired, just beautiful girl. And so when uh, I asked her to preach a sermon in my class, she preached from the story, The Woman at the Well. And the reason she did is because she spent two years in Mali. And the women in the village where she lived were, were um, stout, stately women. <clears throat> Dark hair, just, just strong features. Christy was this thin, blonde-headed little thing. She would go in the mornings to get water for um, her work for the day, and the women would just talk about it. They'd say, honey, it's okay. You will never find a man, obviously. I mean, you can't, you can't hardly even pick up that water pot. And your hair, they would just touch her hair, and they'd say, we're sorry. We don't know why the Lord didn't color your hair. He left it this color. She said one day she just broke. She was at the well, and she said, and she'd already learned to speak their language. She said, I want you to know back home I'm beautiful. <clears throat> but guess what she did? She quit going with them. <clears throat> so when she preached the sermon, the woman at the well, she told her own story. It's very fascinating. Well, here's this unnamed woman. We don't know that much about her. And yet Jesus has this very lengthy conversation with her, doesn't he? As a matter of fact, Jesus will even tell her that he's the Messiah. What a, an interesting conversation. And so from the lowest to the highest, there's room for everybody. There's room for you. So we want you as you're reading through John's gospel to write yourself into the script and think about the encounters you've had with Jesus or maybe the encounter you still need to have with Jesus. And I hope that you'll find yourself in some of these stories so with that said, let's talk about one of these famous encounters we just read. So let's just walk through this text really quickly this morning. And I want to just offer you a few words to remember. Let's start with the word learn. Nicodemus came to learn about Jesus. Now, evidently, Nicodemus had heard about Jesus. If, if you go back and look at the text, it's interesting the way he puts it. If you look at verse 2, he says, Rabbi, we know. Now, who is the we? Did, did he have maybe some folks with him, some of his students? I don't necessarily think so. I think he's referring to the fact that he's a part of a group of folks who have been following this story. And he says, you know, as we've heard about you, and we know that the things that you're doing... Um, signal to us that you must be from God. Now, Nicodemus had expectations. Uh, Nicodemus is, is someone who was a rabbi. He was a learned scholar. Um, he was um, someone who was a Pharisee. He's a part of the Sanhedrin. But news about Jesus had already reached the ears 
of Israel. And so Nicodemus wants to know. He says, um, I, don't, I don't know what's happening, but we think you must be from God. Now, we don't know which signs uh, Nicodemus is referring to. Remember, that's the word John likes to use. He doesn't like to use the word miracle. He likes to use the word sign. Remember what signs do? They point. So that's what Nicodemus is saying. He said, there are just some things pointing. It seems, at least to us, you must be from God. I would just say, y'all, I'm grateful for this story. Would to God that everybody would come to Jesus with an open heart just to learn? Without already having their mind made up about who he is, just show up and learn. That's a good word for me and you. We, we still need to learn from him, and we need to have an open heart, an open mind as Jesus continues to teach us. So Nicodemus just shows up with these questions. Well, then here's what happens. Jesus challenges Nicodemus to listen. He does something quite interesting. He uses the double amen. As a matter of fact, in John's gospel, Jesus would do that 25 times. If you're reading an English translation, here's your clue to know that it's the double amen. In Greek, amen, amen, which means truly, or it means may it be so. And so the way the translators usually let us know that you've got the double amen is you'll get, look at verse three, you'll either get very truly or you will get the old King James, which says what? Verily, verily. Um, or it might just say truly. That's letting you know that Jesus is throwing down the double amen. And he's gonna do it 25 times in John's gospel. He is going to confront all kinds of people with this double amen. So think about this conversation. Here's Nicodemus. Nicodemus is at the top of the theological food chain. He is Ivy League educated. He, he is on the accreditation committee for all other seminaries. I mean, if you, if you wanna act like you know something, you're going to have to find your way through people like this guy. This guy knows what's going on. I wonder sometimes, I wonder if Nicodemus was in Jerusalem when Jesus showed up as a little boy and started talking to all those religious leaders. I don't know. Maybe he wasn't, but it wouldn't surprise me if he hadn't heard about it because I'm sure that there are people who remember this, this theological novice, this 12-year-old boy that shows up in Jerusalem and he's confounding the greatest scholars of Israel. And so Jesus' reputation precedes him. Now, he doesn't have the kind of credentials that Nicodemus has. Jesus doesn't have an Ivy League education. He is not attached to some very important rabbi, which was very common in those days. If you wanted to go into this line of work, you would find one of these famous preachers, and you would come, and you would study under them, and, and they would tutor you and teach you the, the ways of the kingdom of God. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus was self-taught. And so here we are with one man who is at the top of the food chain, so to speak, theologically, another man who's a carpenter from Nazareth. And remember, the question's already asked, can anything good come from Nazareth? So um, here we go. And what does Jesus do? Jesus gives him the double amen. <laughs> and he says, I want to say this to you and listen to what I have to say, Nicodemus. I'm actually going to share with you the truth. You listen up. 
You'll find this 25 times in John's gospel. Jesus is in, in John chapter 5, after he's healed the lame man at the pool of Bethesda, after all that's happened, happened on the Sabbath, when Jesus starts talking about how the fathers at work through him. So some of Nicodemus's colleagues in John 5 are going to confront Jesus, and they say, you can't talk like this. You, you act like you're from God. You talk about you're from heaven. You talk about the Father all the time. And Jesus will tell them three times in John 5, amen, amen. Listen up, truly, truly, fairly, verily, does the same thing here. Now, here's what normally happens every single time in John's gospel. When Jesus uses the double amen, he follows it up with an authoritative pronouncement. Okay? So when you're reading through John's gospel this Easter season, just make a note of it. Every time you see this very truly, or verily, verily, Pay attention because what's about to happen next is he's about to say something incredibly profound and it's about his authority. His authority. So what happens in this text? Well, here's the lesson. Jesus says, truly, truly, here's the lesson. We all must be born again, born from above, born of water and born of spirit. That's the lesson in this text. What's the point? <clears throat> well, think about it. Nicodemus says, we've been watching, and let me tell you what we see. We're seeing some signs, and we think you must be from God. I want you to look at what Jesus says. Look at verse 3. Jesus says, well, let me tell you something. You can't see anything yet. You, you think you're seeing, but you haven't actually seen anything yet. Because the only way you can actually see this the only way you can actually come to grips with what's happening here is you have to be born anew. Now, it's hard to translate that word into English, born again. It could be born anew. It could be born from above. The bottom line is it's, it's about a rebirth. And then he qualifies it by saying you've got to be born of water and born of the Spirit. Now, that's confounded some people because they look at that and they say, well, this must be about, <clears throat> about baptism. Well, I want you to think about that baptism would have had no meaning to Nicodemus. Baptism in Nicodemus' understanding was just for Gentiles. It was when you proselyted into Judaism. Well, that, that has no meaning for Nicodemus. So he's not familiar with that. So this is not about baptism. This is, this is an Old Testament imagery that's come to life in the New Testament. Let, let me just show you where I believe it comes from. It comes from Ezekiel 36. This is a very famous passage in the life of Israel, certainly in the first century. Ezekiel 36, verse 24 says this, for I will take you out of the nations, I will gather you from all the countries, I'll bring you back into your own land, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you'll be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities, from all your idols. I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you the heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you. And so that imagery is underneath what Jesus is teaching here. This idea of water and spirit has to do with cleansing and new birth. It has to do with the cleansing power of God's forgiveness and God's grace and then the transformation that's got to happen in any individual if they're going to understand anything that Jesus is doing. Because see, Jesus is going to teach us in John's gospel and in the other three gospels that his kingdom is not of this world. 
He's introducing a very different kind of kingdom. And in order for you to experience what Jesus is doing, you've got to completely change. You've got to have a process of transformation that's not on your own power. You have got to understand with spiritual eyes. You can't get this out of your own ability. You've got to be born again. You've got to be born from above. You've got to be cleansed of your sin. You've got to have the Spirit of God placed in you. You've got to be completely redone, and only God can do this. And so Jesus tells this accomplished religious scholar, you ain't seen nothing yet. And the reason is, is because you haven't chosen to believe yet. You're just watching. And what I want you to know is even you, Nicodemus, even you, now, this would have been okay for the woman at the well, right? I mean, you tell the woman at the well, you know what, you, you, need to, you, you need to start over. True. Even you, Nicodemus, you got to start all over again. You know, um, I saw the other day that President Carter has been placed in hospice care. Did y'all see that? Um, you know, when Jimmy Carter was running for president back in the 70s, there was a lot made about the fact that he revert, referred to himself as a born-again Christian. Do y'all remember that? He called himself that. Well, if you remember Jimmy Carter, Jimmy Carter was a Sunday school teacher in a Baptist church in Georgia. I don't think you'd be shocked that he had called himself a born-again Christian, but, but that phrase was a little bit foreign to the ears of many people. And so there was a lot written about it, and I'll never forget they were interviewing Ronald Reagan. No disrespect to Ronald Reagan, but this is what Reagan said, supposedly. Jimmy Carter refers to himself as a born-again Christian. How about you? And Reagan said, well, I'm a Christian. I'm just not one of those born-again ones. Now, here's what I'm gonna tell you all this morning. The only kind of Christian there is is somebody who's been born again. If you have not been born again, you are not a Christian. You don't just become a Christian because you think you can do it on your own. Even Nicodemus, who's graduated from seminary, who's teaching in the finest schools of his day, guess what he needed? To be born again. Guess what you need? Every single person right now that can hear my voice, whether you're in this room whether you're joining us online, what I want you to know is that if you want to see the kingdom of God, if you want to understand your very purpose for existence, if you want to live into why God put you on this planet, you must be born again for it to start. You cannot experience God's grand purpose for your life independently of this particular experience. And that's why in this text, Jesus actually starts speaking in the plural. You all must be born again. <laughs> it's not just Nicodemus. Whoever the we is in the beginning of this text, Jesus is addressing everybody. And you can't accomplish this on your own. It's only through the transformational process that occurs when you encounter Jesus yourself personally and you choose to receive him into your life. Now, how does it work? Well, Jesus explains it to Nicodemus. He says, well, let me, let me just show you this phrase, lift up. There are three lifted up passages in John's gospel. Here in John 3, 
later in John 8, and then finally in John 12. And if you'll read, as we're reading John's gospel right now, you'll sense the progression. Right now, we're not quite sure what it means in terms of, is it the crucifixion? Jesus just tells Nicodemus, just like the, the snake was lifted up, the Son of Man will be lifted up. He doesn't really explain it just yet. But when we get to page 12, he's going to let us know that the Son of Man being lifted up is a reference to his crucifixion. And so when he's lifted up, he's going to be lifted up physically on a cross. But he's also going to be lifted up in glory. He's going to be lifted up in honor. He's going to be lifted up in the great story of salvation, in the story of redemption. And so Jesus will be lifted up on that cross so that he can draw everyone to himself because it is through his death on the cross that all of our sins can be forgiven. And we can then find life in him. And the way you receive it in your life is just, he explains to Nicodemus, he says, Nicodemus, I know you know this story. I mean, you're a teacher of Israel. You, you, you know exactly what happened in this story in the Bible where Moses lifted up that snake in the wilderness and guess what Israel had to do? All they had to do was look at the snake. They just had to believe that God would heal them and he did. And so he's telling Nicodemus, it's gonna just take faith. You're just gonna have to believe this. You can't earn this. You can't overcome your own sin. You've gotta to turn to Jesus and look to him and believe in him. And he's gonna say, just like the days of old when Israel had to look and believe, that's what you've gotta do. It's a simple call for faith. So how does it work for you? It works for you the same way. It's like it did for Nicodemus and anybody else. You just simply have to put your faith in Jesus. You just have to believe in him. Augustine said, I don't understand so that I may believe. Augustine said, I believe so that I may understand. C.S. Lewis said, I, I don't just believe in the sunrise when I see it. He said, I believe in it because through it, I see everything else. He said, that's what the Christianity is to me. He said, I believe in Christianity, not just in it, but through it, I can see everything else. You see, you can't understand all of this through the, the eyes of the world. It's not gonna make sense. But when you choose to put the eyes of faith in your journey and you trust Jesus, then all of a sudden it opens up the vista. It, it throws back the curtains. It opens up the window where then you can start to understand what God's really doing. But it doesn't matter who you are until you put your faith in Christ, it'll never make sense. This is where it all starts. And, and I, I, I'm so grateful for John's reflection on all this. Because here's what John tells us. This is all rooted in love. You see, the gospel is rooted in and emerges from God's love. And God's love is powerful. We don't understand all of this. We don't understand the forces of God's love. But he says, God loves us so much that this is what he's done for us. And God's at work in ways that you and I don't even understand. Jesus told Nicodemus, he said, think about it this way, Nicodemus. He says, you know when the wind starts to blow. And I love the play on words in Greek in the New Testament and in Hebrew in the Old Testament. You know the Greek word pneuma means spirit, also means wind. So it's an interplay of words here in this conversation. Ruach in Hebrew, same thing, means breath, wind, or spirit. And so, Nicodemus, you need to know this, Jesus says. When, when God's love begins to pour out, you don't, you're never going to understand it. It's, it, it, it's like the wind. It, it just blows, and 
You don't know where it came from. You can't fully comprehend it, but you see the evidence of it. Well, you can't understand God's love. It's too big, it's too great, but you can see the evidence of it because God is at work everywhere. You know, last year, y'all may remember when we sent our, our medical team into Sierra Leone and they went to that, that far community that we'd never visited before. And last year, after we left, our pastor, our church planter there told us, Pastor Emmanuel, he said, they've given us permission to come here and work now because of this medical team. You know, this year in January, that team, they returned to that same community. And do you know what's happened in a year's time? The Spirit of God has been at work in ways that we would never imagine. And God, the wind of the Spirit and God's love has poured out on these people. And you know, when Cindy and them got to the village this year, there are 17 new churches in that region and they had 100 people waiting to be baptized. Because you know what happens? God's love is poured out in ways that you and I just can't imagine. And God is not waiting on your permission to do what he does. He's not. As a matter of fact, if God wants to pour out his spirit on a bunch of hippies in California in 1970, guess what? He's not going to ask you what you think about it. If he wants to pour out his spirit on a bunch of college kids gathered for worship and prayer in Wilmore, Kentucky. You ever been to Wilmore, Kentucky? If he wants to do that, you know what? He's not going to ask you what you think about it because he's going to blow his spirit wherever he chooses and it's going to be a demonstration of his love. And when God pours out his love, people respond to it. And that's why John says, my goodness, as I think about this, I think about this story, this encounter with Nicodemus. John said, listen, for God just so loved, he just so loved this world that he gave his son, his only son, and if you, if you will just, just believe in him, just, just put your faith in him, just say yes to him, then guess what? You will live. And you'll live abundantly. And the good news is, you'll live forever. You'll live forever. That means that you'll discover your purpose. And you'll live in God's presence forever. Is that not good news, y'all? My world right now, seriously, my world right now is so hungry for good news. And you and I, we have it. And so then Jesus closes, or John closes this story with just a brief word about light. That just make a note, I wanted to put this in there because when you're reading the gospel of John, notice how many times light and darkness are gonna be contrasted. You'll find it page after page in John's gospel. When did Nicodemus come to Jesus? At night. When did Simon Peter deny Jesus? At night. Then all of a sudden the rooster crowed at dawn. And guess what? The light came and Peter was caught. That's what light does, doesn't it? It catches you. Um, and so Jesus is the light of the world. And he has come into this world so that we might all live. So Nicodemus. It's a Greek name. It's transliterated into the Jewish world. So what about old Nicodemus? Well, y'all know we just got back from Rome. And uh, every year when we go to Rome, one of the things you, you can't help yourself, you just stand in awe of the, of the treasures that you find in so many of the places, particularly the churches in Rome. One of my favorite statues in Rome is the Pieta in Rome. And uh, here's a photo I took of it the other day when I was there. And it is the mature Mary, even though she has a young face, and she's holding the dead body of her son. 
This is one of Michelangelo's earliest works. As a matter of fact, it's his only autographed statue. He said that he was standing there one day in the old St. Peter's Basilica, and someone was commenting on this because it was so beautiful. And they said, who could have done this? And someone said, I heard Michelangelo from Florence did this. And they were like, oh, no, he's too young. No way he could do that. So he went that night and just carved his name across the sash of Mary. Just make sure you know he did it. He said he regretted that. He never did that again. Well, I love the pietas. Beautiful. It's the, the word pity in, in Italian. The, the pity, the mercy, if you will, that's experienced by Mary and others because of the death of Jesus. Well, this year, um, I did two tours of Rome this year. I think I told you all that. So in between the two, Cindy and I took a little brief trip up to Orvieto, which I'd never been to before. Beautiful little town outside of Rome. It's, a, it's got a modern town down in the valley. It's got the ancient city of Orvieto up on a cliff. And uh, you have to actually ride this tram thing to get up there. And y'all know I'm afraid of heights, so it's a little dicey. Um, but it's the only way to get up there. So I got up there. When you get there, you get rewarded. Because at the very top... Of the, of the hill in Orvieto is this beautiful cathedral. I took a photo of it while I was there. I mean, look at this. The Duomo in Orvieto. It's beautiful, majestic. So I go inside, never been in it before, never been to this town before. And we start walking through this beautiful artwork. It's incredible. And then we came across a pieta I've never seen before. I want to show you. I took a picture of it. <clears throat> Can y'all see that? There's Mary holding the body of Jesus. I want you to look who's standing behind Mary. You know who that is? He's holding a ladder. He's holding nails in his hand. Nicodemus. All these years I've been going to Italy, Michelangelo's Pieta has always been my favorite. It just got displaced. I love this one. Because guess what happens to Nicodemus? We keep reading, and Jesus planted the seeds of the gospel in his mind, in his heart, in his soul, and we get to John 19, and Jesus has died on the cross, and lo and behold, who comes of all people and removes the body of Jesus and carries it off to a borrowed tomb? Who was it? Come on, y'all. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Where was Peter? Where was everybody? But guess who came? Nicodemus. I'm going to tell you all right now. When I see him in heaven, I'm going to thank him. Thank you for going to get the body of my Lord. You know, you and I take the Lord's Supper. And we, we, we have the, um, it's one of my favorite scenes in that movie, The Jesus Revolution. You know, where the little hippie Lonnie Frisbee is celebrating the Lord's Supper the first time with that more formal church and they pass the Lord's Supper and he drinks and he says, I don't think that's real wine. Uh, well, no, it's not, son. It's grape juice. That's just how we do it. But that juice, that bread, symbolizes the body and blood of Jesus. But I'm going to tell you about Nicodemus. Nicodemus actually touched the body and blood of Jesus with his own hands. He's one of the few people on planet Earth that did that. When I see him, I'm going to thank him. I'm so glad John tells us how the story ends. You see, not everybody accepts Jesus right off. Sometimes it takes a while. But praise God, we get the story. Nicodemus came to faith in Christ. You know what my hope and prayer is? That everybody who hears my voice do the very same thing. You can do it today. You can invite Jesus in your life right now. You can. All you've got to do is tell him you love him. And that you believe he died on the cross for your sin. 
and you can invite him into your life right now. You don't have to wait. But it's our prayer that anybody who hears this message today will give their life today to Jesus. You'll never regret it. As a matter of fact, you'll actually start to live. Hallelujah. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, today we're grateful. We're grateful, Lord, for this powerful story, the truth revealed in this story about Jesus, by Jesus, through Jesus, for Jesus. And we're grateful, Lord, that we can celebrate the life that we've found in Jesus. We praise your name for it. And right now, Lord, if there are those who need to do that, I just lift them up before you. And so right now, if you're feeling that prompting right now, maybe you're in this room, maybe you're joining us online, and you just sense that the Holy Spirit is working through you, well, you know what? All you gotta do is respond to him right now. You can do it. You can just do this. You just, in your own heart, you can just say this. Dear God, I love you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. I believe Jesus died for me. I believe that you raised him from the dead and I wanna give my life to Jesus right now. Thank you for saving me, forgiving me, cleansing me. And I pray that you'll use me the rest of my life for your glory. You pray something like that in your own words and guess what? You've just been born again. And we wanna celebrate it with you. So Lord, I just pray for anybody that needs to do that, that today is the day and that we can join in celebrating their new birth. May it be so in Jesus' name, amen.